Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of SpinCast. Today, we're diving back into the great world of collegiate esports. Joining me are two individuals from Stevenson University, John Neely. He is the esports program manager and the League of Legends coach, and Jordan Sheets. He is the Valorant and Overwatch head coach. So without further ado, John, I'll let you go first. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your past, where your passions in gaming and esports kind of started and how that led you down to down your path to becoming the program manager at Stevenson. Uh, well, Leslie, I guess because uh, we're college, I'll start off with like my high school background. So I was a football player in, in high school and um, I was planning on going to college to, to, to furthering my athletic career and I had a major injury. So one of those things that I looked for to supplement that experience was competitive gaming um, because I didn't want to take the route anymore after I'd gotten injured to pursue football anymore. So I got into um, competitive League of Legends in college around my sophomore, junior year. We had started a team. I'd coached that team. And uh that gave me the background and the analytics uh, through my major, which I went to Towson University for history. So um, it actually helped me out with a lot of the analytics and stressful nature of just the strategy of League of Legends. And I went off coaching me, my brother, and three other of my buddies uh, to uh, making the top 32 on the East Coast for, for League of Legends in the collegiate space. Awesome. Awesome. That's great to hear. I, I love to hear that success in the esports arena. Um, Jordan, what about you? Tell us a little bit about your background in esports. Um, so basically, I've always been a competitive person. I've always enjoyed, you know, whether it's playing sports, participating in, in uh, just competition. Um, in high school, I did play a lot of athletics. I played hockey. I played baseball. Um, but in my downtime, honestly, I would play a lot of games. I would game a lot, too. So it was like something that I always has been part of my nature. Um, and I was always been very competitive. Um, I used to, this was back in the, this was back a while ago, but I used to, um, run like world of Warcraft guilds, like PVP for world of Warcraft. Um, I always was super into shooters, whether it was like counter-strike, which I played for a really long time. And then, and then that became into overwatch and player unknown battlegrounds. So I've always been involved with, uh, competitive esports since I can remember, um, growing up. I didn't really have that many consoles. I had a computer. So um, it was always something that's been just a part of my life. And uh, I've always liked organizing and being like kind of the communicative uh, leader of the group. And um, I have a lot of fun doing it. So awesome. Yeah, I think uh, like that coaching role is so needed in esports right now. You know, there's a lot of coaches, but um, there's a difference in like an expert player and then like a coach or a coach with actually coaching skills, you know, leadership, you know, how do you approach, you know, a loss? How do you, you know, ramp your team up and for an upcoming competition? And those, a lot of that's missing right now on a lot of different levels, especially at collegiate sports. So I'm happy to see that y'all have um, that mindset already at Stevenson, but jumping into the program specifically, John, take me through kind of the snapshot of the program. You know, what, what games do you have? What teams do you have? What competitions do you compete in? Um, are you a varsity program, a club, et cetera, et cetera. Give me a snapshot over, of the overview of the esports program at Stevenson. Um, so currently uh, the program's uh, about almost four years old. Uh, it started off with an inaugural student starting a club and um, that getting some interest as a student base. And then once the student base required more of a competitive 
type of touch they they wanted to um hire a coach and then that's when I came in because I knew a couple of the players through mutual friends um and some of the um some of the uh faculty members as well so I had started off with that and that was just League of Legends and then as soon as we started taking off with League I had brought in Jordan because we had brought in some Overwatch players um and then this coming year will be our inaugural season for Valorant. And um, as far as competitions goes and conferences, um, for League of Legends, we're under one conference, which is the, the RSAA, which is the Ride Scholastic um, Association. And um, we compete through that national title through our conference, which is the ECAC. Mm-hmm. Um, and we play – that is our one major tournament. Uh, now in esports, everybody knows that there's a lot of privatized tournaments. Um, we just got notified today that Riot is uh, preventing any tournaments larger than 16 colleges or 16 participants nationally. So uh, they're kind of like reining in a lot of the tournaments nationally because mm-hmm. they want to proprietize that entire operation and making sure that it's getting governed properly. Um, and as far as the uh, Valorant, that's gonna that isn't under a particular um, governing body quite yet. It will probably be folded into the RSAA as well. But right now, from what I've heard from numerous um, board members from that organization, is that they want just like league, to, uh, just for Valorant to be brought up from that amateur scene to collegiate to professional. They wanted to do a natural motion of uh, like almost an organic growth in that manner. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've heard like, you know, Valorant almost at all levels right now, right? It's just kind of like letting go a little bit and seeing kind of who's best at it, who's best at producing and organizing it. And, you know, after that, in about probably a year or two, once they kind of develop their, you know, proprietary, you know, fully fledged fact um, pro league, it'll be the best of the best kind of gets that contract, which is a whole nother conversation contracts in esports, a tricky thing for sure. Um, but Sticking uh, with the, the theme of Stevenson, um, take me through, Jordan, uh, the prep work that goes into practice. Um, you know, you're a Valorant coach and an Overwatch coach. You know, what do you focus on when you, you know, approach uh, practice days so your team continually improves um, both as individuals and as a team? So for right now, uh, what we're doing, and this is the very beginning of the year, so what I like to do is I kind of like to come up with like a format so to speak and kind of monitor that format is that optimal are we getting the most value out of that um you know what's the downtime look like is everybody engaged so on and so forth so right now the way practice starts is we do anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour of aim training and we'll do aim labs we'll do specific courses on aim labs uh valorant uh courses and also what we're getting into now is doing the Amer 7's click timing guide uh, through Kovacs. Um, and Amer 7 is actually a very popular aim training coach. Um, he has a lot of good courses and he has a lot of courses broken down for beginner to extremely advanced players. He's actually coached uh, Psalm, who was a, a Valorant uh, pro player, um, and a couple other really uh, high tier pro players. So we'll start with that for the first hour. Then what we'll do is we'll go into simulated retakes for about the next hour where we retake sim, we work on our comms, we work on our trading, we work on our utility usage. And we usually do that in a 
like custom lobby because I usually have anywhere from eight to 12 players uh, for Valorant. And then from there, we'll go into two hours to three hours of scrims after we set that's all been settled out. That's typical. That's a typical day of practice for us. Awesome. That's incredible to hear that you have so many different focuses and approaches, um, both in the you know, individual, the mechanics, the aiming, um, and then also the team comms, you know, communication is one of those things that's so kind of, they're very, it's very hard to uh, kind of develop over time, right? Because a lot of times younger students, especially in esports, they don't have a guiding voice, right? There's no main coach. Um, but once you get to college and you do get a coach, then it's like a whole other ball game. And, you know, those opportunities kind of, you know, fold over themselves in so many different ways, which is awesome to hear and see. My next question is for you, John, you know, as the esports program manager, talk to me about your responsibilities. You know, what goes into being a program manager? You know, what are those managerial responsibilities look, looking like so you can make sure that all the players and your individual coaches, um, that you take that burden off their shoulders. So they don't have to worry about all the logistics. Just take me through kind of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis um, to make sure the program continues to grow um, in all the different ways. Uh, I would say the number one thing I do to start my day is scheduling, making sure that all the players have the opportune amount of time to do their homework, to make sure that we can fit in a proper scrim and to do any individual drills that they require outside of the team-based practices. Um, and then also I like to talk to my boss, who's the rec, uh, who, who's the rec, rec sports director. And we talk um, where we are standing budgetarily where, whether we're going to be uh, upgrading our facilities, our apparel, uh, how many tournaments are we going to be participating, participating every year. So any projected costs for entry fees or travel costs, um, food, lodging, uh, anything that really comes with traveling to tournaments. Now, luckily, I mean, I, mean, I guess not luckily, but um, it is convenient that now COVID with esports, everything is remote. So we can participate in more tournaments because there are more opportunity to participate in them because the variety is is there because they're removing the travel aspect so mm -hmm. um outside of that we're also looking at um player conduct uh is another thing especially if they're streaming we have to monitor their streams making sure that they're representing uh being a role model for uh younger students including high school students and then making sure that they're showing that they're a part of the university and they're, they're an, a stand-up individual. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really like we're, we're making, we're teaching these kids at every level how to be an adult and give them structure and how to develop them. So we just, everything that I do is mostly to give them structure so that it's hard for them to fail. Mm -hmm. And then I get with Jordan as well and we create a strategy on how we can further these students thinking outward towards the, the rest of, of their collegiate career. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about, uh, we're, we're talk we have in the works some broadcasting classes that we're talking about, some business courses for esports, trying to get conversations going on creating esports as a career for some of these students. Mm -hmm. um, because that's, Usually, uh, most of the time is their dream is to is to pursue their career in esports. Yeah, absolutely. That that kind of brings me to really interesting points. I love to see that that focus on that long term success, right? So many people, so many kids, especially you know high schoolers, are like, I want to go pro, I want to go pro, I want to go pro. But it's like 
the chance of going pro in esports is even less so than traditional sports. And that's widely accepted as very difficult, if not impossible, to go pro in the NFL or, you know, the MLS or European soccer, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, in, in esports, it's even less. Rocket League is a three man roster, right? League of Legends is a five man roster. Like, you know, the NFL, it's 55, <laughs> a little bit more. Um, so it, it's great to see that. And I'd love to get your opinion on that, Jordan. It's kind of, Walk me through the importance to you of providing this platform and opportunity for students that are part um, of your teams to be able to, you know, get those business skills, get those education so they can be successful in the workforce um, in the esports industry. Well, I think that if you really break down what what it takes to be a successful person or a successful player in esports, it's a lot of things that are core fundamentals of being just a successful individual in general. It's um, being able to communicate very well. It's being able to play to other people's strengths and encourage people and keep a positive attitude. It's able to, you know, assess situations that you need to handle better or things you need to adjust. It's being able to take constructive criticism and also give constructive criticism, but in a way that's healthy and positive for the environment. Um, so it's basically a lot of it is mental. A lot of esports is mental. Obviously, there's the hand-eye coordination. Obviously, there's the aim training. But a ton of it is mental. Um, a ton of it is mental. And I really think that what we try to do at our program is really solidify that foundation and try to translate that into the business and working you know, culture of every day. Because like you said, and, and we're honest with people, you know, it's not many people are going to make it professionally and not many people are going to even get the opportunity. So um, it's about taking the skills that they're practicing and honing in on esports and helping them become a more well-rounded individual outside of that, if that's what they choose to do. Yeah, I totally agree with that sentiment of all these core skills are so incredibly transferable to the workforce, right? They're, they're very core skills that if you master them in esports, you can apply them readily to any other industry, whether it's esports or not, or playing or being, you know, a, being part of the workforce as an employee or a, a business owner, an investor, or, you know, any, any part of the careers available in the industry. It's so like communications and work ethic, dedication, ambition is so important in those fields. And having that mindset in college is so important to apply it um, at that next level. Kind of switching gears, you, um, we touched on a, a little bit ago, right at the beginning of a really interesting kind of dilemma in collegiate esports is um, having this proper governance that you guys mentioned earlier. Um, there's a lot of kind of different players, so to say, in collegiate esports that are all privatizing or trying to privatize um, the collegiate esports out of it. You know, take me through y'all's opinions on, you know, what does that proper governance look like? You know, do we need more structure at collegiate esports in your opinion? Do we need less? Do we need, you know, one central voice? Do we, you know, what comes to mind? Um, what's your opinion on that topic of where that structure needs to be at um, as we continue to grow as an industry? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I think right now the the best example of that governing body has probably been Riot, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. They've kind of, kind of in my opinion have set the standard for rules and regulations as far as player eligibility um having ringers like false accounts being played um gpa um uh years of eligibility everything like that they've taken a lot of focal points from the ncaa's guidelines and regulations 
mm-hmm. and have given it an esport twist where it would be applied without the astringent values of how traditional sports is run with a lot of the player restrictions and whatnot and and branding and I think that they have done a great job laying the foundation and I think that they're going to continue with their governing bodies or governing body to develop the esports realm because right now what a lot of small conferences like the NC the NEC mm-hmm. NCC and the ECAC and the Big 12 they're all owned now as far as esports comes by Riot for any League of Legends tournament. Mm-hmm. So they govern them, and that, but they sub-govern themselves. So they bring in their own groups of, 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 of team or teams from different colleges in their own conference, and then they play in for the national title once they make their playoffs in their own sub-conferences, and then, so, and then Riot takes over. Mm-hmm. And then I think that how they handle the space of player compensation is really the way that most tournaments should hold all of their prize winnings. Mm-hmm. is that they hold they hold all the 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 winnings in an escrow account and waiting for that player to either graduate or use that 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 winning prize money for mm-hmm. their gra- furthering their academics. Yeah. So they gives them they give the player the choice and they give them the opportunity to really earn their keep. I I guess you can say of 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 their athletic or their esports esports career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's so important because when you win a lot of money, especially at a young age, right, the first kind of tendency is I'm going to go spend it, right? I'm going to go buy something pretty, I'm yeah. going to buy something cool. Um, but in reality, hey, maybe you should put that towards tuition or maybe you should put that, you know, in an account that, you know, has a good savings kind of rate behind it to use later in life, maybe as a down payment for a house after you graduate and get a job. So that, that, that's awesome to hear um, that Riot does that. Jordan, do you have anything to add to that um, on the topic of what that proper governance looks like, what structure that we need to continue to grow incredibly quickly like we are um, in esports. Um, I'll just kind of piggyback and, and echo what John says. We have had a lot of conversations about this actually outside of practice. And we, I definitely agree with John as far as the stance that Riot is taking. I like the way that they're doing things. I like the structure that they, that they do them in. And I wish that more like companies would kind of see that and try to echo that in some way, shape or form, because I'm always for more structure. And I think that that's how we really truly grow and become better as we, we have rules, we have structure, we have um, things in place to make sure the environment is the best environment we can possibly provide for collegiate esports athletes. Because right now in a lot of different titles, it's very much like the wild, wild West. There's a lot of like, sniping that goes on between teams like people will get a different scholarship so they'll go there there's a lot of people that can play for an indefinite amount of time where it's kind of crazy like they could play a certain amount of years and then they could go somewhere else and they could play some more years so it's kind of there's a lot of gray areas right now and some people abuse that some people don't abuse that so seeing more structure is definitely the route that I think that I would like to see things going within the next, you know, five or so years. I think it's what's desperately needed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there needs to be that one central voice that kind of determines what those rules are, right? You know, and there's probably not, there's probably some better rules definitely out there that needs to be formed, but there's no right answer in a hundred percent fashion, but having, you know, that concrete structure. So everyone knows what to expect um, really helps all the players and the coaches and the programs be all on that same page and kind of 
bring competition to the next level. There's no more extraneous details that people have to weigh. They can just focus on getting better and winning those championships and then continuing to develop their programs and students um, for that next step, whether that's going pro or heading into the workforce. Um, but unfortunately, we are running out of time here. John and Jordan, we've had a fantastic uh, discussion so far about esports at the collegiate level. I will leave both of you. One last question that I always ask everybody as kind of my parting question is looking at esports completely. All the levels from middle school, you know, you're 10 years old or whatever, all the way to professional and the uh, business side of it as well in that global sense. What is the one thing that pops into your head that you think either needs to change or be improved on or really just remain the, stay, or remain the same um, with whatever dedicated support that thing may have um, to really propel esports to that next level? You know, it's obviously extremely big. It's growing incredibly quickly, but it's not quite mainstream yet, right? There's still a lot of people that like hear esports and they're like, oh, that's what you're playing video games. Like they don't understand the complexity and the depth of the entire industry and how many different levels and opportunities there are within it. So what is that one thing that kind of catapults us to that um, level from where we are now? And John, I'll let you answer this first. I think public availability. I think it's not broadcasted enough publicly, especially mm -hmm. on television. Yep. It, I mean, there are um, clips and stuff like that on ESPN, but it's not necessarily totally covered for instance league of legends worlds coming up and you're, you're only going to be able to see that on twitch yep so in my opinion it needs to be way more readily broadcasted in the united states for it to become a huge culture mm -hmm. culture um play because in asia it's it's like everything's is video games it's mm -hmm. and every other region in the world is adopting this esports phenomenon Mm -hmm. except for the United States because of the, how they broadcast it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, because Twitch already has that certain demographic, right? If you're watching Twitch, more than likely, probably 90% or greater, you're a gamer, right? You're there for gaming or some level of it, whether it's, you know, a personal streamer or a team or a competition, et cetera. Um, but on TV, everyone flips through TV, right? So even if it's, you don't know it's on TV, when you flip through the channels at night to get someone to watch, you see League of Legends, you see Overwatch, you see Valorant. You're like, you know what? I'm going to check this out because it's in front of you, right? You're not going to go to Twitch to watch TV because that's not what it's for. So like getting that more, you know, outside audience that isn't as involved and giving them that platform to become more um, susceptible to it, more exposed to it is really, really important. What about you, Jordan? What pops into your mind? I mean, I think John made a really good point, And I do agree that um, as far as making it more mainstream, making it more accessible to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that as technology increases, we are seeing, you know, the costs of PCs, the cost of parts, the cost of everything go more and more down and you can build a better and better PC for less and less money, but it still does cost good amount of money. Like if you want to have a 144 Hertz monitor, if you want to have a really good setup, if you want to have an optimal setup to play at a high level, it's definitely going to cost money. And that's another issue that I think, um, I, I'm liking the fact that it is getting easier as far as cost-wise to build a decent to good gaming PC, but I think that's why it was such it's such a niche and it has been such a niche for a while is because most kids are going to save up that money and they're going to buy an Xbox or they're going to save up that money and they're going to buy a PlayStation and most kids don't even you know they don't they're not they don't know how the parts work on the PC they don't know how to put one together so it's it's just very intimidating right or you know they don't know what to buy um, and so it's definitely more of a niche. And I think that as a community, we really need to try our best to make it less of a niche and have more information out there, more, obviously more mainstream channels, more broadcasting, so on and so forth. Cause, um, I think we've seen incredible growth and I'm really excited. 
Um, but I just think the accessibility still isn't quite there as comparison to console, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, PC gaming is what is the standard, right? Every single game at a high level is played on a PC. Um, for the most part, there might be one out there, maybe uh, Smash. <laughs> but the, the, that accessibility level is, is so low and I think, um, or so high. Um, and I think, you know, as more high schools kind of get involved, more middle schools, and you see dedicated um, dollars at that level where people have a platform to go and play, um, and get that education of like, why should I build a PC, right? And it kind of plays into the comprehensive model of understanding the opportunities that you get when you get a higher end PC, right? It can run creative software like, you know, video editing and coding and level design, right? You can't do that on a laptop, right? For the most part. Um, and understand that this isn't just for gaming, right? And Xbox typically is just for gaming or maybe throwing on Netflix, um, but a PC can kind of do everything, right? And I think once people also understand that, maybe it kind of brings that opportunity cost down a little bit as well. Um, but unfortunately, we are out of time. A lot of great discussion points here. Thank you, both of you, for joining me on SpinCast this afternoon. Um, real quick, if you will, John, plug your program. Tell us where we can find you on Twitter, where we can find Stevenson University in the esports program on Twitter, Facebook, Twi Twitch, whatever you want to plug. Uh, so our, our Twitter account is SU underscore esports. And uh, we have uh, our website, stevensonesports.com. That'll, that'll give you all of our player information and program information, including scholarships. Awesome. Awesome. Anything to add to that, Jordan? No, I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, just check that out if you're interested. Um, and you, get, you can get in contact with either John or I if you have more questions about the program from there. Um, but thank you so much, Kyle. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you. I think you had a lot of great questions today. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait maybe being coming repeat guest as we expand the podcast series into some longer panels um, here into the fall once we get a little bit more time on our hands and hopefully COVID starts to slow down. Um, yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so can't wait to talk to y'all again. To all our viewers and listeners out there, thanks for staying the entire time. Uh, stay healthy, stay happy out there. Obviously, pandemic's still going on. Take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, and ultimately, stay plugged in.